0: Aise you, Jesus. Praise you, God. you, Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord would say this day, know that my ways are mysterious. Know that my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are different than your own. And know this day that I have not given up on this nation. I have not turned my back on America. But in this day I am raising an army upon the earth. I am raising sons and daughters who know who they are in me and know the authority they have. The stage is being set for my glory all throughout the earth and a mighty harvest will come forth. Though the enemy rage and though the enemy scheme, what he does not understand is that I see all things and I have planned all things. Everything that he does is what he is allowed to do that fits within my sovereignty. So know this day that on this good Friday, do not look to the world, do not look to earthly leaders, but look to me alone. Spend time with me, draw near to me, know my voice and know my heart. As you spend time in my word, you will come to know my mind and my heart, and you will see things as I see them, because I am moving mightily in the earth. And I still have many things to do, thus saith the Lord. And um, just want to welcome everybody on this, on this good Friday. And um, it, was, it was interesting today, um, as, I, as I was at my house, and just to kind of give you a rundown of what this week kind of looked like. So the beginning of the week, um, I thought the, the drama team... Was going to be doing a drama tonight and um, I thought I would give a very short message and then uh, it was Wednesday um, I got in touch with uh, Joanne and she said because of different circumstances they had to postpone so I just began to press into the Lord and um, as I pressed in, in prayer and spent time with him and I just began to write down the things that he was sharing with me it just flowed and Um, he, he also reminded me of today that it was, it was 24 years ago that he called me into ministry. It was on this, uh, yeah, it was, it was on this, it was on this weekend. I was, uh, I was a 17 year old kid. I'd gone to a conference for the assemblies of God. They always do it on an Easter weekend. And at that point, 17 years old, I just won the New York state championship I was second team all state I was being recruited by a lot of schools, and I thought my destiny was to play college football and maybe the NFL and uh, God had a much different plan and um, so there's just there's a lot of things that the Lord has been speaking to my heart about, and i I love I love Good Friday and um, you know the our Lord and our Savior went through. As we'll look at tonight, there were things that he went through that are beyond our comprehension. There is pain, there is suffering that Jesus endured on this day that we can't even comprehend. If you can imagine the worst type of suffering, it does not comprehend, It does not even compare with Calvary. And the Lord said to me today, as I was in my kitchen and I was getting ready to come here, He said, David, before a person is ever allowed and given the opportunity to minister to the multitudes, they must learn the importance of the one. And he's always told me that even if it was only one who would have accepted what he did at Calvary, he would have still gone through everything he went through because the way that God cares about humanity being created in his image and how much he loves us is beyond anything we can comprehend. And the honest truth is the only reason a person is not saved is because they reject what Jesus has done. That's the the whole reason. People are presented the gospel. God tells us that who he is, it is evident throughout creation. And when a person looks at creation, when they look at the complexity of creation, I mean, I went to SUNY Corlin. I, I was a phys ed major, but one of the classes I had to take was anatomy and physiology. And when you study the human body, when you study the nervous system, when you study how complex alone the human eye is, that if someone can look at that and they can say that there is no God, it is not God that keeps them out of heaven, is their own pride. Because see, when you come to the conclusion that there is a God, then that means that He is greater than you are and you're accountable to Him. And, and sadly... We have many many people today the gospel is everywhere everywhere you go especially in America everywhere you go on social media the gospel is everywhere and God is doing that for a reason and I also just wanted to make you aware tonight um, I had new invite cards made up for the church and one of them says God loves you the other one says find peace and the other one says find hope and I I would encourage you take a couple of these and just pray that God would bring you into the path of someone who's lost. And, you know, sometimes people are afraid to share their faith, to share what Christ has done. And I'll tell you, the greatest way that you can begin to move in evangelism is just by praying for divine appointments and opportunities. Because when you specifically pray, Lord, bring somebody into my life who needs to know you and does not know you, there's no effort involved. You could be in the store, you could be walking down the street, you could be driving in your car. I remember one time as the Lord began to lead me to pray in this direction, I was actually over in Johnson City and I was coming home from Wegmans. And I took uh, the back way to get to where I was going. I'm driving down the road and there's a guy just walking on the side of the road. He looked homeless. And the Holy Spirit said to me in that moment, stop the car, pull over and go talk to him. And I did, and this guy sees this bald guy running at him, and he's like, what's going on? And um, I just, I stopped, and I said, you know, I, I told him, I said, I don't know if you believe in God, I don't know if you know Jesus Christ, but I said to him, I want you to know that he loves you and he's pursuing you. And that is the reason that I have pulled this car over, is to simply tell you how much Christ has, loves you, and I said, I don't want to weird you out, but I said, can I pray for you? And he said, sure. And, and we spent some time talking about things. But I, I would really encourage you to pray about moving in greater ways than evangelism. Because we live at the doorstep of the return of Jesus Christ. And every single believer on this earth is called to be a minister of the gospel. It's just not pastors. It's just not missionaries. It's just not people with a platform. It's everybody. And, and God, is, God is allowing things in the world, throughout the world, to be shaken for the one sole purpose to move people towards Him. That's the whole reason. The whole reason Joe Biden, there's many reasons why he's President of the United States and God has allowed it to happen, but one of it is to position people in a place that they come to a place and they see that the only place hope can be found is Jesus Christ. And so... As we continue on this earth and we continue to move forward, I'll tell you, we live in the most exciting time in history. It's, it's not a time to live in fear. It's not a time to listen to people about vaccines and all this other stuff. Because to be honest with you, this week I was watching a video of what the communist Chinese government's doing to the people in China. And they're the new Nazis, the Chinese government's the new Nazis. The guy who's leading China is the new Adolf Hitler. The things they're doing to their people, starving them, they're, they're putting them in quarantine and, and camps, and it's, it's unspeakable of what they were doing. I said to my wife the other day as we were driving the car, I said, I wish we had a president right now who would unleash the military on the Chinese government and just wipe them off the face of the earth. Because I, the way I've gotten to pray is, you know, I for a while I was praying, you know, Lord you know, praying for God's grace and His mercy. But the other night when I was in prayer and I was watching these things, my prayers began to change. And I said, Father, you used to tell me vengeance belongs to you, so show me. Unleash your vengeance upon the earth, not only in the nation of China and those that are wicked, but in the halls of America. Because the, there, there is a time of reckoning that is coming. And God has not given up on America. God has not looked at America and said, you're far too wicked, I can't help you, because... We have to remember when abraham interceded for sodom and gomorrah he started out with 50 he went to 40 he went to 30 to 20 he went to 10 and he said if there be 10 would you save the city and there wasn't even 10 righteous people in sodom but in this nation there are people all across this nation that love god that have consecrated themselves to him and are praying every day and yes we have godless people that are in the halls of government They sit in power, but never forget in one moment God can remove every one of them. And so on this Good Friday, on this resurrection weekend, I believe this message that we have from God Almighty when it comes to the Gospel and what Christ has done, I believe it's very timely for where we stand in history. I believe it's very timely for the United States of America because there's many people right now who look at everything that is going on, and just like the disciples on that Friday, they feel like all hope is lost. But we must remember that Sunday is coming. And the one thing, when you, when you really study the Scriptures, and you not only come to understand the nature of God, you come to under, understand the nature of the devil. And see, Satan understands that he's defeated. Satan understands that he has no power, he has no authority over the body of Christ. But what he knows he has to do, he has to convince us that he does he has to convince us that all hope is lost he has to convince us and discourage us so that we won't pray we won't seek god we won't worship and we won't proclaim the gospel because what is going to be the sustaining grace in america in this hour is prayer and the proclamation of the gospel of jesus christ When the word of God is not compromised, when it's preached according to God has written it, and you're not worried about crowds, you're not worried about drawn people, you just want to preach the gospel because the only one whose opinion matters is Jesus Christ. That is when history is impacted. And that's why when you look at Paul, when you look at Peter, when you look at Isaiah, when you look at John the Baptist, when you look at Ezekiel, when you look at Daniel, when you look at David, when you look look at Joshua, all of these men, the common denominator is in their life their one sole focus was god almighty and he was the only one that mattered he was the only one whose opinion that mattered so tonight as we take a look at this the message that god has laid on my heart the title of it is the beauty of calvary because when you look at calvary as a whole and you look at and you really break down everything that jesus went through by the time jesus got from the garden of gethsemane to the cross he was beaten beyond recognition his body it wasn't even recognizable with how badly he was beaten but he did all of it for you and he did all of it for me and so tonight as we look at this i just want to begin by just seeking the lord for his leading tonight in prayer and um my my hope is for all of us when we leave this place tonight that our sole focus is jesus christ and him alone Because everything else on this world is passing away. And tonight when we were singing the song Is He Worthy? And they were singing about breaking the scrolls. I was thinking about someday when we will stand with Him in His presence and see Him face to face. And not only Him, but we'll see all the saints of old and family members who have passed away and gone on to be with the Lord. And this world will be It won't even be in our memory anymore. And we have to remember that our time on this earth is but a breath. That's it. We have but a breath compared to eternity to do something for Jesus Christ and his kingdom. So let's pray and uh, see what the Lord would say to us tonight. So Father, I uh, just humbly come before you. And Father, as I have often prayed in my life, I know that in myself that I am... Father, I'm not qualified to do this. I know I don't have the words. And Father, I humbly submit to you that you would lead me by your Spirit. Holy Spirit, I pray that this message, this pulpit would be yours and my heart and my mind would be one with yours. Lord, we don't need the words today of a human person. We need your words and your heart. And so, Father, tonight speak in this place. Encourage our hearts. Let us know, Father, that even though on this Good Friday it seemed like everything that was lost. But Sunday's coming. And so, Father, we praise you tonight. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. So the events of Calvary are well documented in Scripture. And when you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four of them have the accounts of what happened in Calvary. They all have different perspective from different eyewitness accounts. And tonight, primarily... What we're going to be looking at is the Gospel of John. John, in his Gospel, is known as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And one time I was in a message and I was in the audience and I heard a pastor talk about John using this title, the disciple whom Jesus loved, and he made a statement that John thought he was loved more than all the other disciples. And I sat in the audience and I thought to myself, this guy's an idiot. Because John didn't write these words because he thought he was more loved than all the other disciples. He wrote these words because he came to the realization that Jesus loved him and he didn't deserve it. And um, John's account of Calvary and what happened is an eyewitness account. Because at the end, when all the disciples had abandoned Jesus and they had gone, there was one who was there at the foot of the cross and his name was John the Apostle. And John was younger than Peter. John, during Jesus' earthly ministry, was known as the son of thunder with James. Um, I'm sure he was a very rugged fisherman. I'm sure if you said something to him, he was ready to fight in any moment. But one of the things you see about John's writing, whether you look at the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, or you look at the book of Revelation, is Christ truly transformed who he was. And John really focuses on the love of Christ. He focuses on the love of God because when he came to know Christ personally, Jesus changed everything. And I know there's many, many people in this room that if I was to give you time and you could share with people what Christ has done, that when you truly know him personally, and I'm not talking about knowing a bunch of facts about Jesus or looking at a picture on a wall and saying yeah that's Jesus Christ that's not what I'm talking about I'm talking about you know him that when he speaks to you and he whispers into your heart through the Holy Spirit you know that it's him that when you're in a room and you're in worship and then all of a sudden he steps into the room and begins to walk through the room you sense his presence and you feel him because you know him intimately and everything we have in the Christian faith is built upon what has happened at Calvary without Calvary, if if anybody can disprove what has happened at Calvary, what they could do is they could collapse Christianity. But the thing is, is that we know that, especially on Sunday when we look at it and the resurrection, that there were over 500 witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what's also astounding, you know, some people will doubt the validity of the Bible and these men that follow Jesus. But when you're going to tell me now we know Judas betrayed Jesus and he hung himself. But you're going to tell me the, the, the 11 guys that followed Christ closely, one died in old age who was John the Apostle, but you're going to tell me the rest of the 10 all were martyred. And this is a fairy tale? Nope, because they had seen the risen Christ. And they had seen what Jesus had gone through. And, and as we look at this today, what they were watching happen at Calvary did not make any sense to them. And what we are watching happen in the world right now, if you looked at it in your human logic, you would say nothing makes sense right now. But it's very, very important to always remember the ways and the plans of God are far higher and different than our own. And this is why God doesn't tell us, go and figure it out. The Lord says, trust me. He says, believe because the only way that you and I can walk with Jesus Christ is by faith. We can't walk by it with scientific understanding. We can't take God and try to quantify who God is and try to prove that he exists. Because you know what? You can't scientifically prove that God exists. But what you can do is you can look at creation. You can look at everything around you. And when you begin to wonder in your heart, is there a God and you begin to pursue truth, at the end of that journey you end up with jesus christ because he is truth so john three sixteen through 18 says this it's very very well known for god so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life for god did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And on this day known as Good Friday, Jesus would pay an ultimate price. And where it began as Jesus sat with his disciples and he had a last meal with them and he explained to them the new covenant that was by his broken body and his shed blood. And at that last supper, it always amazes me that all throughout Jesus' ministry, he knew that Judas would betray him. And as Christ sat there at that table and he looked at Judas and he told Judas to go and do what he was going to do, I, knew, I know that Jesus' heart was broken because he loved Judas, but Judas was more, more, He was more enamored with becoming rich and he was more enamored with with privilege because as Jesus, during Jesus' ministry, when Judas began with Jesus, he thought that he would rule and reign with Jesus and Jesus was going to establish his kingdom. But all of a sudden, when Jesus begins to talk about that he has to suffer and die, all of a sudden, Satan gets into the heart of Judas and Judas betrays him for 30 pieces of silver. And then Jesus moves into the Garden of Gethsemane where he prayed. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, he asked three times, if this cup could pass for me, but not my will, but your will be done. And the thing I love about Jesus is that every part of who he was was surrendered to the Father's will. And Jesus even brought Peter, James, and John into the garden area where he was praying off into a distance. And three different times, Jesus came out to them as Jesus was beyond himself thinking about everything he was about to endure, and he found them sleeping each time. And Jesus addresses Peter specifically, because Peter said to him, even if all of them deny you, I never will. But Jesus knew why he had come. He hadn't come to be crowned or adored. He hadn't come to establish His kingdom and throne now. He came to give His life. This was the reason He came. He knew when Him and the Father spoke at some point in eternity, and His Father said to Him, it is now time to go, and it is now time to fully become man and step into time. And they both knew exactly what He was going to endure because they knew the price of sin. They knew how lost humanity is without them because God so loved the world that He sent His Son. He didn't have to send His Son. He could to let humanity die because there is nothing within humanity that is worth saving. Not a thing. When you look at how wicked, how cruel, how selfish, how just wicked and, and, and wretched humanity is, there is nothing. There is nothing that God would look upon us and say they deserve to be saved. But God in His mercy provided a way that we could be saved. God in His mercy provided a way that humanity could be immersed in sin, could be set free from that sin and brought back in a right relationship with Him. But what I believe truly drove Jesus to ask if this cup could pass from Him it was not the scourging, it was not the crown of thorns, it was not the humiliation, and it was not even the cross or the nails. What I truly believe it was, was for the first time in all of eternity, he would be separated from his Father. Because there comes a point on the cross where Jesus for the first time doesn't call his Father, Father. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because in that moment of time, all the sins of humanity are placed upon the Lamb of God. And Jesus would then be arrested and betrayed by one of his 12 disciples, Judas. And Judas betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver, which was the price of a slave. And Jesus would also be denied by one of his inner circle. When Peter was asked three times if he knew Jesus, he denied it each time, and he even began to call curses down upon himself, claiming, I don't even know the man. What's amazing in that instance is when he said that in the rooster crow, that Jesus looked right at him and pierced the soul of Peter. And what always makes me just wonder when I think about Peter is until that conversation that Peter has with Jesus on the on the beach as, as Peter and Jesus are sitting there and Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, do you love me? Until that moment in time, the only thing Peter knew, the last thing he did was he had denied Jesus, denied even knowing him. He had seen Christ do all these things, all these miracles. He had confessed to the Lord, I love you with everything that I am. I, even if all of these go and turn their back on you, I never will. But Peter, because of his own pride and his own self-reliance, God allowed these things to happen in Peter's life because they would be foundational for becoming the apostle that he was. And so after Jesus is arrested, he's taken before the Sanhedrin. And he's charged with blasphemy. And what people, when you read the accounts of standing before the Sanhedrin, they began to mock him, they began to spit on him. And I was reading an account of this uh, from a gentleman named Rick Renner. And Rick Renner says, when you break down the Greek, he said, what they began to do, and the different Greek words that were used, is they began to taunt Jesus, and they almost began to act out some of his healings in front of him and they began to taunt him and then what they began to do is they began to spit in his face and it's just not one spit what it's believed is that they I mean you had the entire Sanhedrin pretty much probably what they did was have him go down the line and they were spitting on him over and over again and the spit just began to wash down his face and then they began to hit him in the face as hard as they could because the wickedness of this of these men their hatred for Christ, what it began to open the door to was the influence of the demonic. And Satan, who looked at the Son of God, the demons in hell, who knew the one that was standing in front of them, they in their minds thought to themselves, we have him exactly where we want him. And this is how God always deals with Satan. Because everything that Satan means to kill, steal, and destroy, God always turns it around for his glory. So after Jesus is charged with blasphemy, the Jews at that time were under the Roman Empire. They didn't have the authority to put him to death because blasphemy, by the law, it was death by stoning, and that wasn't the Father's will. Because Jesus had to be crucified, and if he had to be crucified, the Romans had to get involved. And what the Sanhedrin understood was that capital punishment was if someone claimed to be a king. Because what they were doing is they were speaking against Caesar and his rule in Rome. So when Jesus was taken before Pilate, they charged him claiming to be a king. But the thing was, when Pilate examined Jesus thoroughly, the conclusion he came to was this man is innocent. He knew that the only reason that they brought him here was out of jealousy. But Pilate, because he is so concerned with his own position and keeping Jerusalem under control because, see, if he lost control of Jerusalem, and this is the Passover season, so if he doesn't deal with this and he loses control of Jerusalem, he himself could be killed by Rome. So in self-preservation, he knows that this man is innocent, and Pilate thinks by washing his hands of this, he thinks he is innocent, but he is not. He has a hand in all of this. And because both the Jews and the Romans were both involved in this, it wasn't just the Jews that were going to be held responsible for the death of Jesus Christ it was all of humanity so Pilate has Jesus scourged and if you don't know what scourging is because sometimes people read this in the Bible he was scourged he was flogged and they look at that word and if you don't study it and you don't look into it you could just say well they just probably whipped him right So scourging, the the reason Pilate was going to have him scourged because in Pilate's mind he thought, if I have him scourged, there's no way when we get done with him and the way his body's going to look, there's no way they're they're going to want to crucify him. There's no way they're going to want to kill him. This guy's innocent. There's no way. So they stripped Jesus down, and like a lamb led to the slaughter, he is tied down to a stake. And he remains there silent. And these Roman soldiers... Who are trained in the art of suffering they have the cat of nine tails and on that whip there's nine leather straps that come off of it and in those leather straps there's pieces of bone and metal because the way the whips would work is when they would bring back with all of their strength and these were well-trained rugged soldiers who were trained to inflict as much pain as possible when they would bring it back and they would whip it. It's just not one whip or leather strap hitting them. It's nine. And it would wrap around the individual. And then what they would do is they would rip it out as hard as they can. And with it, it would bring pieces of flesh and everything else. And blood would just begin to fly. And the thing was, they did this 39 times. And when one would do it, and they would pull it out. As soon as they pulled it out, they would whip him again. And they would whip him again. And they would whip him again. And Pilate thought in his mind, these people are watching a fellow Jew do this and go through this. There is no way that they're going to cry for him to be crucified when this is all done. But this was the Father's will. This wasn't, there was no point in Jesus' life where Jesus lost authority of his own life. There was no point in this situation that where all of a sudden the devil had control because at any moment, the Son of God could have simply prayed to his father and cried out to him. And legions upon legions of angels would have came and the whole thing would have ended. But he didn't. Like a lamb sent to the slaughter, he remained silent because his thought as he was tied to that post and he was humiliated and he was whipped over and over again, was every person who would receive what he did. Because everything that Christ did was a gift unto us. So after his body is opened up, he's beaten beyond recognition, he is then taken before the Roman soldiers. And they mock him, and they spit in his face, and they bow down before him and say, Hail, King of the Jews. And then they take a crown of thorns. And these thorns are not like a pricker bush in your backyard. These thorns are probably about that long. And what happened was when they took that crown of thorns and they shoved it into the head of Jesus, every time it went deeper and deeper, every nerve ending in his skull sent shock waves through his body. And it was a pain. All of this that Jesus went through, as a level of pain that you and I cannot comprehend. And so as they mock him, we now come to the king carrying his cross. And I just want to watch this before I continue on. Gene, you can you can stop it there. When I when I watch that clip, it's from the movie The Passion, and if you've never seen that movie, I would encourage you to watch it. When I what I always think about that clip is I think about when Mary when Mary is holding baby Jesus and you know when you when you're a parent, the whole gospel story changes a whole lot. When you're a parent, and you have a child and you understand that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son because of our sin, because of our shame, because of our wickedness, because of our wretchedness. It puts things in perspective. And when we look at crucifixion, crucifixion was invented by the Persians, but it was perfected by the Romans. Crucifixion was primarily used on slaves, disgraced soldiers, foreigners, and those who threatened the Roman Empire. And we must remember that Barabbas was charged with rebellion and murder. And all of us are Barabbas because at that moment, when Jesus stood next to Barabbas, and by all accounts, Barabbas deserved to die upon that cross and to be crucified, in that moment there was a divine exchange and it wasn't only that jesus was taking the place of barabbas jesus was taking the place of all humanity because the way that god designed salvation and the way that god designed what jesus did is that the way of salvation and the gift of god is open to all people regardless of a person's race regardless of their gender regardless of their socioeconomic status, no matter where they come from, when a person hears what Christ has done, they then have to make a decision, what am I going to do with this one who is known as Jesus Christ? And so tonight we read in John nineteen seventeen through 22, it says, Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. And when we look at this, Jesus took my place and Jesus took your place. And all of us deserve the cross. And Jesus hung between two criminals. Pilate on this day failed to understand how much God was in control of the entire event. Pilate believed that in himself, he made the decision to put up this sign, but it was actually God Almighty who put it upon his heart. And that sign was there written for all to see. And it was written in the languages of Aramaic, Latin, and Greek, and for a purpose. Because Aramaic was the language of the Jew. Latin was the language of the elite And Greek was the language of the common man. All would see on this day and read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Though the chief priests protested that they couldn't stop the purposes and the plans of God. And we continue in verses 23 and 24. It says, when the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares. One for each of them with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the Scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots from my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. And one of the things we have to understand is that everything that Jesus did, everything, everything that happened at Calvary, everything that happened during his earthly ministry, everything that happened with his, with his birth, everything fulfilled the Father's will. It fulfilled Scripture. These Scriptures that were written hundreds of years before he was ever born, as the Holy Spirit came on mere men and they were led by the Holy Spirit. And they were writing and they were prophesying things that they didn't even understand, but they were carried along by the Spirit of God that Jesus and everything was fulfilling every plan and purpose of the Father. And in Psalm 22, 18, it says, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. And it's also important to see that most likely... Jesus hung upon the cross naked. Many times in our work and movies, it's often seen where Jesus is clothed somewhat, but oftentimes when individuals were crucified, they were crucified naked because it was meant to humiliate them. And on this day, the Son of God would take the punishment that we deserve. And uh, when he hung upon the cross, he was there naked, alone, and humiliated. And the whole reason he did it was not because of his own sin. It was not because he had done anything to deserve it. Everything that Jesus did was because of you and me. Everything that Jesus did is because of our sin. Every day that I wake up and I wake up and I spend time in prayer with God, I am amazed that every day that I know Him. I am amazed every day my sins are forgiven because... We are only saved by the grace of God because this is how God deals with wicked people. See, God's mercy and God's patience has a limit. And God will reach out to people and knock on the doors of their heart. But here's what happens. When people continue in wickedness and they reject the gospel of Jesus Christ, how God deals with the wicked is he gives them over to their wickedness so that when the time of judgment comes, there's no escape. And when the gospel goes forth, every single person who hears the gospel is now given an opportunity at life, forgiveness, and eternal life. Because rejecting Jesus Christ, the only thing that happens when a person looks at Jesus and said, this is foolish, it's a story, this is a mere man, this is a prophet, this is a teacher. Whatever they want to say Jesus is, what happens is the more they reject Jesus Christ, the more that they write their death warrant. And this is what humanity doesn't understand because God in his mercy sent his son and God in his mercy sends forth the gospel. And when we fully understand the extents of what Jesus went through, when we understand the depths of his suffering and everything he was willing to do because of you and I, when we truly understand that truth, it will make us want to commit everything to Jesus Christ. Because when you understand the depths of his suffering and all that he was willing to go through for your sin and for my sin, living for him and surrendering everything is not even a question. It's a given. So in verses 28 through 30, it says, later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And before before we we read this portion, there's there's a portion in between this where Jesus takes time from being on the cross and he commits the care of Mary, his mother, into the hands of John the Apostle. And Jesus knew that Mary was a widow. At some point, we don't know when, Joseph had died. And Jesus, being the oldest son, would have been the one who would have taken care of his mother. And all during his earthly ministry, one of the things we know is that James, his brother, who would eventually come to saving faith, didn't do it until after the resurrection. And so there were times during Jesus' earthly ministry where his own brothers thought he was out of his mind. And so, as Jesus is on the cross and Mary is at the foot of the cross by herself, Jesus knows the importance of putting the care of her life into the hands of someone he truly trusts, and that was John the Apostle. And at the beginning of Jesus' crucifixion, they offered him wine mingled with myrrh to drink. And when they had done this in the beginning, and it's found in Mark 15. 20 through, through 23, it says, they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And see, the reason in the beginning Jesus didn't take this drink they were giving him was because the purpose of this was to dull the senses and to dull the pain. But Jesus knew that he had to be fully aware of everything that was going to happen and he was not going to defile himself in any way because he is the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world and he came to endure the full measure of his Father's wrath. Because what we truly see at Calvary, what we see on this Good Friday, when we look at all the events and everything that Jesus is enduring, what we are seeing is we are seeing a picture of the wrath of God. And I often tell people who laugh about the existence of hell and the lake of fire and they think it's... I've heard people say I'm going to party when I get to hell and all this other stuff. And I always tell people, if you want to know the depths of hell and how terrible the suffering of hell is, simply look at what Jesus Christ did. Because what we see in what Jesus Christ did was the Father took the full measure of His wrath because God is righteous God is just and God is holy. And because God is righteous and God is just, he must fully deal with sin. In humanity, every single person on this earth is born separated from Almighty God because of sin. And they are born with a debt that they cannot pay. That there is not enough good works that a person can do in themselves to find relief from the debt they owe to God. And this is why all the other religions and faith systems of the world whether you look at islam you look at jehovah witnesses you look at mormons you look at all these systems the one common denominator you find is that every single one of them is by the works of humanity to try to get to whatever god they claim they're going to get to but there is only one in which the god of the bible the god of creation has offered a way of salvation that is not by works it is not by effort. It's not by performance. It's simply looking at what Christ has done, recognizing that we are sinners and that He is the answer. That is the only way a man can be saved. So, Jesus, now at the end, He asks for, he asks for the wine vinegar. And the reason He does is because He has to say all of these different things upon the cross to fulfill the Father's will. And in Psalm twenty-two, fifteen, it says when David wrote this Psalm and much of when you read Psalm 22 and you look at the suffering of Jesus, what we see in Psalm 22, it is a prophetic Psalm of everything that Christ as a descendant of David would endure at Calvary. And in Psalm 22 through 15, in verse 15, it says, my mouth is dried up like a pot shard and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. And Jesus knows that the Father's will in Scripture has been fulfilled. He makes this claim so that He will have enough moisture to proclaim it is finished. Jesus never once lost authority over His life or the situation. No one took Jesus' life from Him. He gave up His life. He laid it down. And what it is finished means is sin is dealt with. Our debt is paid. The devil is defeated. The will of the Father is completed. All that He came to do was fully accomplished. It is not a cry of defeat. It is a proclamation of victory. It is a proclamation to not only all of heaven, but it is a declaration to every power of hell that they have been defeated and that the Son of God has overcome them. The Son of God on this day paid the ultimate price. And why did he? Because of us. We don't deserve it. We have not earned it. Because of his love for us, he offers salvation and forgiveness to anyone who will receive it. Unless anyone claim that he did not truly die upon the cross as some will claim that somehow he fell into a coma or fell into a sleep and woke up in the grave. John includes this so that we will know that he surely died. In verses 31-37 through it says, Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses. During the Sabbath they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man and had been crucified with Jesus. And then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony. And his testimony is true. And this is John writing this. He knows that he tells the truth and he testifies. And this is why John testifies. So that you also may believe. These things happen so that the Scriptures would be fulfilled. Not one of His bones will be broken. And as another Scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Because see, during the Passover ceremony, the lamb that was slaughtered, that it was said that none of the bones were to be broken. And on this day, again, as we see from Scripture there was not one moment that, that God lost control of anything. There was not one moment that the devil was in control of anything. The entire episode of everything that was happening at Calvary was controlled by Almighty God. Because he knew this was the only way. And this is the eyewitness account of John the Apostle. And most of the times, as he says, the haste and death, because... See, when a person is crucified, when a person is crucified, there's a couple of things that happen to the individual on the cross. Number one, they're nailed with their hands and their feet. So all of their body weight is suspended in the air. And oftentimes the way they die on the cross is from suffocation. Because as they hang upon the cross, every time they're going to take a breath, they have to lift themselves up to breathe in, and then every time they breathe out, they lose the ability to take in some air. And so the way that they hasten death at the end when they want to do it is they break the legs because once the legs are broken, the individual can't lift themselves up. But here's the amazing thing about Jesus. Jesus was on the cross at 9 o'clock in the morning, and at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, And Jesus didn't have a wristwatch. He didn't have a clock in front of him. At three o'clock in the afternoon, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, he said to the Father, it is finished. Into your hands I commit my spirit. And the moment he did that, in the temple, in the Holy of Holies, where there is a curtain that is very, very thick, at that time there would have been an animal that was being sacrificed for the evening sacrifice. And as that priest is sacrificing that animal, what it probably looked like is an individual grabbed that curtain with two hands and shredded it like a piece of paper. And he stood there, and everybody is looking in the Holy of Holies, and God made it very, very clear that the access to him is available to all people. Because if you don't study people who don't understand the law, In the law, right now, I'm doing a personal study and a journey through the book of Leviticus. And in the book of Leviticus, there's uh, chapter 16, talks about the Day of Atonement. And on the Day of Atonement, there was only one individual who could go in the Holy of Holies. And that was the high priest. And the high priest, once a year, would go into the Holy of Holies because when he went into the Holy of Holies, before he could ever end, he had to give a burnt offering and a sin offering for himself because he was sinful. And so he had to do the sacrifices, he had to wash himself, he had to put on the linen garments, and he would step into the Holy of Holies. And what he would have is he would have two goats. And and lots would be cast for one of the goats that was going to be the sin offering for the entire nation for that year, and the other would be the scapegoat. And the sin offering was slaughtered in the Holy of Holies. And it was for the sins of all the nation of Israel. It was always done on the seventh month of the tenth day. And they would do this every single year. And then the scapegoat that was cast the lots, the the high priest, would go to him. He would lay his hand on the goat's head. The sins of all the nation would be transferred to the scapegoat. And then it would be taken out into the wilderness. And it would be let loose. And when you read, when you study the law and you study the Old Testament and you study the covenants, you study all the celebration, everything that God called Israel to do in the law pointed to Jesus Christ. And because of Jesus today and everything that he went through, and because of everything that he was willing to go through for your sin and my sin, he has taken our sins as far as the east is from the west. And once we know Him, when our Father looks at us, it's as if we'd never sinned. And even when we are in Christ, and we have faith in Christ, and our trust is in Christ, and our life is built on Christ, even in the moment that we sin, we are still able to confess our sin, and our Father is faithful and just to forgive us. And when we do sin, our righteousness is not based on our works, It's not based on our performance. So even if I do sin, my righteousness alone is based on Jesus Christ. This is why the gospel is the greatest message. Because anybody from anywhere, I don't care what they have done, they can come, they can talk to me, they can tell me they've done the most horrendous things upon the earth. And I would simply ask them this one question. Do you want what Jesus has done for you? Because if you want what he has done for you and you're willing to receive it and place your faith in Jesus Christ, then everything that you have done that separates you from God, that in your eyes causes so much shame, so much embarrassment, you're hiding from God, that the moment you place your faith in him, all of it is nailed to the cross and it no longer remains. This is why in God's kingdom... For every child of God who places their eyes on Jesus Christ and becomes a child of God, they are no longer a sinner, they are a saint. Because, see, sainthood is not earned in God's kingdom, it's given. And every single person who comes to Christ in saving faith, and the only way, again, we can come to saving faith in Jesus Christ is when we hear the gospel and who Jesus is, God offers us an opportunity And if we are willing to say yes to that, our eyes are open to who Jesus is. We are adopted into God's family and someday we will live for him for all eternity and we will rule and reign with him in his kingdom. Because the greatest message, the greatest message on this earth today as the world is spiraling into chaos, as the world is being prepared for the wrath of God, as the time is coming when Jesus will break the first seal, And the world will be thrown into utter lawlessness until that day as long as the bride of Christ is here and has not yet been called home. We have work to do and we have the greatest message anybody has to hear. It is what Jesus has done on the cross. It is that not only on this Good Friday, and you know, a lot of times people who don't know Jesus and they hear we call this Good Friday. The reason we call this Good Friday is because the Son of God paid a debt that we cannot pay and He endured suffering that we cannot endure. But He did it all because of His love for us. And if you're here tonight and you've allowed shame and you've allowed your past and you've allowed whatever in your mind the devil has in front of your face and that's what you're focusing on and it's paralyzing you and it's keeping you in prison and it's keeping you from walking in what God has for you, I'm going to encourage you tonight to leave it at the altar and don't pick it up again. Because when you're a child of God, the devil wants to convince you that you're still in prison, that you're still paralyzed, that you're unworthy. Because I'm going to be honest with you, I am not qualified, I am not worthy to do what I'm doing right now. The only thing that qualifies me is the blood of Jesus Christ and the grace of God. That's it. That's the only qualification of my life that I have the ability to stand in front of people and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And every single person that's in this room, you are not only qualified in Christ, you are equipped in Christ, you are empowered by the Holy Spirit, and God wants us to find lost people and tell them what Jesus did. Because the reason we call this Good Friday is because the king who died on this day is no longer in that tomb and Sunday's coming. And I'm going to encourage you today. If you have people in your life who don't know Jesus Christ, call them either tonight or call them tomorrow and invite them to church on Sunday. Just say, you know what? Come to church with me. I'll buy you lunch. I'll buy you coffee. I don't care. I just want to get you in the door hear what God has done for you because you never know when you share Christ with somebody, you invite somebody to church, you give somebody an invite card, you give them a track, you pray for them, you don't know in that moment if that is their day of salvation. Because one plants, another waters, but the one who brings the increase is the Holy Spirit. And there are some people that are sitting in this room that have no idea how gifted they are. They have no idea how God has equipped them. They've been sitting on the sideline watching everybody do something. And God would say to all of us, it's time to get out of the stands, get onto the field, and get involved in this end of history time. Because the trumpet's going to sound. The sound of the trumpet, when the trumpet sounds and the bride goes home, that trumpet sound is far more near than any of us understand. Paul, during his day and during his lifetime, thought that Jesus was going to return during his lifetime, and if Paul felt that way, how much more now we who are 2,000 years later on this side of Calvary, how close are we to the return of Jesus Christ? Because our greatest hope is not in our military. Our greatest hope is not in our government. Our greatest hope is not in our money. Our greatest hope is in the one who died upon that cross, who rose on the third day, who sits at the right hand of the Father, and will return to this earth his feet on the mount of olives and set up his kingdom for a thousand years because he is coming and i tell you today if you do not know jesus christ he is coming he's not a figment of the imagination he's not a prophet he's not a teacher he is almighty god he is the son of god and he is coming and when he comes those who do not know him it is going to be terrifying But I tell you this day, just as in Noah's day, when Noah was a preacher of righteousness and he told the people, the flood is coming. I tell you this day, the wrath and the judgment of God is coming. It is. It's not a figment. And the problem is, the devil in this age has lulled people to sleep. People think that they can live however they want. People think that they can show up to church on once or twice a year, warm a seat in a church every Sunday, do whatever they want with their lives, honor God with their lips, but their hearts are not given to God and they think that's okay. And I'll tell you this day, just as God sent forth the prophets of old to confront the nation of Israel, He is doing it in this day because I believe we are going to enter into a time when God is raising up preachers of righteousness throughout the earth. They are not people who are worried about crowds. They're not people worried about big and mel- building mega churches. They are given an anointing just as John the Baptist was to prepare the bride of Christ for the coming of the King. Yeah. And I will tell you, if you are in this place tonight and you would look at your life and say, I don't know if I'm right with God. I don't know if my name's in the Lamb's Book of Life. I don't know if I'm born again. I'm going to encourage you in a moment.